0: That song by U2, which was inspired by the life of Nelson Mandela, reminds us of the power of ordinary love, and and yet we live in a world where it's rare to experience love. And so this series is about loving everyone life by life, and it's this idea of loving God and allowing God to teach us to love others, those that are around us. Loving our neighbor means loving our coworkers, our classmates, our family, our friends, and our actual neighbors. And in the first week, we talked about how love cares, and we were challenged to start praying for the people that God has already put all around us, the 20 people that might look like they have it all together on the outside. But if you've lived long enough and gotten to know people well enough, then you've discovered that Thoreau was right when he said most people lead lives of quiet desperation. See, God sees and God cares, and if you'll pray, he will show you how to care like he cares. And so we were challenged to download the Gateway Church app, and on that app, you can actually choose to join the challenge, and there's a a place where you can write down the names of all of those that you start to meet in the prayer list and start typing in things that you know they need prayer for. They... You've learned about them along the way. No one will see this list. This is just for you to remember so you can be praying. And then last week, we talked about how love listens. We get to know their story and find ways that we can connect. And today, we're discussing how love engages. A few years ago, we did a series similar to this, and we used the acronym BLESS. And that's begin praying, listen engage, serve, and share. And and a couple that was a part of that series uh, just recently emailed about their experience. They're called the Randalls. They wrote, two years ago, we moved to Austin and knew absolutely no one. When Gateway did this challenge, we took it as a sign from God, nudging us to get to know our neighbors so that we could experience community in our new neighborhood. So I literally baked several loaves of banana bread, attached a note that said we were new and just wanted to meet everyone and went around with my three boys knocking on doors and delivering treats. One of our neighbors actually said that was the nicest thing anyone had ever done for them. That poor person. (laughs) But not long after that, we started an annual hot cocoa party for the whole street around Christmas time and our tiny house had more than 20 people celebrating the season and enjoying each other. They went on to describe how some of their best friends in Austin are their neighbors and how they share birthdays together and watch each other's kids and they are there for each other in ways that they had never quite experienced in other neighborhoods before. They finish with, we're so glad that we accepted the challenge and now we have an amazing community of neighbors in Pflugerville, which sounds like a great place to start a new church, a new campus. If you were at our 20 year, that's where John Ng will be planting a campus. We're excited about that. But maybe you've never thought about it, that as you and I make an effort to intentionally love those around us, the byproduct is we actually experience community. You'll grow spiritually, experiencing God at work in you and through you, but it requires us being intentional. And we can see this in the life of Jesus. Jesus intentionally loved people. Jesus engaged with people. He ate meals and did things with people that others And the religious community shunned. And so maybe that's the first way that we can engage. Just share a meal. Matthew, also known as Levi in the scriptures, was a tax collector. Now in those days, tax collectors were seen as traitors. Because they were on the same side as the Romans. And the Romans didn't care if they would take more than what was owed. And so they were corrupt. And so they were part of the crowd that was known for extortion. They were considered immoral, unethical, the party till you puke kind of people, these tax collectors. And yet, Matthew has this encounter with Jesus, and he begins to follow Jesus. And this immoral tax collector, after discovering faith, is invited into Jesus' inner circle, into his 12 disciples, And so Matthew does what anyone would do. He's excited about his new faith, and so he throws a party, and he invites all of his friends to the party, who happen to be tax collectors and prostitutes, the people that would hang out with tax collectors. Listen to what happens in Matthew 9. While Jesus was still having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees, this is a religious sect, a group that believed we are the only right ones, kind of a nationalistic group, really. Everyone else was considered unclean. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. See, these religious leaders, this sect called Pharisees, believed that they knew the way of righteousness. And they stayed in this holy huddle, disconnected from the rest of humanity. And if you hung out with anyone not like yourself, you had something wrong with you. And they are actually judging Jesus for for being so loving. Now, in a community like this, I just want to acknowledge that we come from different experiences, and some of you may have experienced Christianity as a child, and that's why you walked away from it as a young adult, and you found yourself in this place. And let me just encourage you to say that there are very, very many hypocritical and judgmental Christians that are not following in the way of Jesus. They're actually following in the way of the Pharisees. Don't ever let the religions of others keep you from the relationship with God. And if you actually look at the scriptures, you'll see that Jesus was so very different than those who were religious, those who were shunning others. Jesus engaged with people who did not share his faith or his morality or his ethical sensibilities. And he responds with this odd statement to the Pharisees. He says to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Now, you've never probably thought of Jesus as being sarcastic, but Jesus is being sarcastic. Did you know it's not a sin to be sarcastic? (laughs) Or I should say the way Jesus was sarcastic is not a sin. And in this moment, he's basically looking at these experts and he quotes to them their own prophets He says, you should go and learn what the prophets say. Well, they're the ones who would teach what the prophets said. But he reminds them that the prophets say that God desires mercy, not sacrifice. See, they were not merciful people. And he looks at them and he says to them that, look, I'm not here to help anyone who doesn't want help. And in reality, what he's saying is they too are of those who are sick and needing a doctor. See, but the problem with pride is when you are proud, you don't believe you need help. And when you are too proud to ask for help, you don't experience help that you need. But see, when you realize I need what God offers, you're in a position to experience new life. You're in a position to experience forgiveness. You're in a position to experience the kind of love that God offers all of us. But these righteous Pharisees, were so upset with Jesus and his willingness to spend time with those they felt were unclean and unacceptable, they eventually crucified him for displaying such compassion and mercy. Now, this is an important part of our journey as people of faith or people who are curious about faith. See, we're invited to love God and love people. And our Faith should never be what excludes us from others, but in fact, it should invite us into the lives of other people. We're supposed to love God and, and love others, and so that means being connected in, into spiritual community so that we can grow together. That's why we talk so much about serving teams and, and life groups and learning together on Sundays. But see, when Christians start thinking it's all about me and my growth... It's all about me and my style of worship. It's all about me being fed. We're actually not following in the way of Jesus, we're following the way of the Pharisees. In fact, for just a moment, let me just speak directly to those of us who follow Jesus. Have you ever found yourself looking for a place to get fed, have you ever heard that phrase? We don't say that in any other community right? But we, in the Christian community, talk about we want to get fed, right? And, and what we mean by that is we want to find a place that kind of speaks to us the way we like to be spoken to, a, a place that sings the kind of songs that we like. But we live in a very consumeristic culture, and, and so as a result, we begin to look down on others who don't do things the same way that we do, And let me encourage you, in a place like Gateway that is very intentional about both connecting with the disconnected and growing us up to be on mission, that you can fall into this trap of thinking that, well, because there are people who are less mature, then then things aren't the way that I would intend them. But let me just say, if you were to come on a Sunday, every Sunday, with just an open heart and an open mind and just pray, God, would you just speak to me today? And would you show me someone I can serve? Or encourage or meet all all of a sudden you're shifting out of what I need into a being someone that God can use to meet the needs of other people see we grow in our faith as we serve others with others as we connect into a life group as we study the scriptures together our life groups are places where we study these spiritual outcomes of discipleship in the way of Jesus and we grow to become people who can actually feed ourselves See, if we come to get fed on Sundays, we're actually going to be malnourished throughout the week. We have to learn how to feed ourselves by spending time in the scriptures, by being a part of community. My pastor in Los Angeles, his name's Erwin McManus, used to say, I am not trying to feed you, I'm trying to make you hungry. So that during the week you spend time connecting with God, growing in your faith. See, mature humans don't neglect children. They actually feed them and take care of them. We learn to take care of ourselves and take care of others along the way. I've shared this story before, but, but it's a good one, so I'm going to share it again. But years ago, we were at this place called 21 Choices. It's in Pasadena, California. And our kids were little. They were about six and three. And and this place is like Cold Stone Creamy, if you've ever been there. And they kind of mix it up. They put in the toppings. And, and then they put it, the spoon over the counter, and you're supposed to take the spoon and try it. And if it has enough of the mix-ins, you you say yes, or you know what, throw a little bit more chocolate in there somehow, right? Well, this girl mixes it up, and I was pushing one kid in a stroller and kind of holding the hand of the other kid, and they're little, and we're in that mode of, you know, the, the little ones, and all of a sudden, she mixes it up, puts it over the counter, and I don't know what I was thinking, but I just reached over and went... I let a 20-year-old woman feed me in front of a line of people. My children were ashamed of me. Caleb started pushing the stroller further away. And I remember looking at her, looking at me, looking at her. (laughs) What just happened here? I said, I am so sorry. I'm used to feeding my children. But I'm not used to my children feeding me. I still didn't explain exactly what was happening. You see, when a little one is young enough, it's actually fun and cute to feed them. But when they get old enough, it's not cute anymore. And see, some of us are old enough now that we should know how to feed ourselves and to feed others. That we come on Sundays to not only learn from God, but to be used by God in the lives of other people. See, God is not trying to help us grow up till we can win Bible trivia contests. See, maturity is not knowing a lot about the Bible. It's doing what you already know from the Bible. See, you and I, if we were just to begin loving God and loving people, along the way, we'll continue to grow in our faith to become the people we were created to be. If you remember last week, we looked at the story where Jesus was with the woman at the well in Samaria and he cared for her, he listened to her, and he gauges her in dialogue and has this amazing spiritual conversation. And in that same moment, the disciples had gone off to grab food, and they come back, and they say, here, teacher, here's some food that we brought you. And in John 4, it says this, but Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. The disciples asked each other, "Uh, did someone bring him food while we were gone? Then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest, but I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. See, Jesus' invitation is to find all that we need spiritually by obeying, by trusting, by doing what we know he wants us to do. That's the kind of food he has for us. Spiritual maturity leads us to self-feeding and even reaching and feeding and growing others. So if you're not already, start serving. Jump in. If you're not already, jump into a life group. Have a community around you that learning to live in the ways of Jesus. God will mature us and allow us to actually be able to make a contribution into the lives of these 20 people that are all around us. When we learn to care enough to pray and to listen deeply to the story of others and engage in meaningful ways, we will be walking in the footsteps of Jesus, who engaged with people. Sharing a meal. It's easier said than done, right? You think, gosh, my house isn't quite ready and I don't know what to cook. I'm telling you, every time we've opened our home for our neighbors, 20 plus show up. 30, 40 people. In eight years, it's always been packed every time we've done it. We can't get anyone else to host, but every time we do it, they come over, and we have a great time, and we connect. I heard this great story. If some of you know Charles and Raquel Dishinger, they've been part of our, uh, our church since the very beginning with John, Kathy, and the Beasleys, and they for years where he was working in the uh, high-tech world and then has now moved into our executive pastor these last several years. And, And they do something every Halloween called Halloweeners. Now, this is a great example, except for the name of the event. But other than that, it's brilliant what they do, right? In the midst of Halloween, with all their neighbors walking around, in the midst of the darkness, they decided to be a light to their neighbors. And so they pull their grill from the backyard into the front yard. And they just start cooking hot dogs, And year after year, they've done this to the point where all of their neighbors that are from different parts of the planet, neighbors, internationals who have moved here to be in the high-tech industry from China, from India, from South America, from the Middle East, they, they have moved into this neighborhood and they come together and now they don't just have hot dogs, they have hamburgers and Vegemite burgers and veggie burgers and falafel burgers and it's turned into this big deal, the Halloweeners with 100 people every year. Let's show you some pictures there at their Halloweeners. And in fact, it was so popular, they now started celebrating Groundhog Day. It may be the only neighborhood that does on the planet. And they have potluck soup with a fire pit out in the front yard. But when was the last time you had a neighbor over for a meal? Again, it's so easy to get so busy and to get caught up, but, but actually, hospitality needs to be what we become known for. Listen to what the scriptures say. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Or do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Or this one, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. See, we need a faith community to remind us. We need stories that challenge us. We need an app to help keep it at the front of our mind that hospitality is is a way of loving people. John Burke, our senior pastor, met with a demographer recently, and apparently, Austin is now considered a gateway city, which isn't named after our church. A gateway city in America is like New York and San Francisco. It's a place where internationals move to work in the high-tech industry. It's their first experience in America. But the catch is, internationals that move to the United States can live here for years without ever being invited into the home of an American, which would be unthinkable in many of their cultures. If you've ever lived overseas, I remember walking the streets of Syria, this was in the year 2000, and being invited with, by random strangers into their home to share a meal. They had never met Americans and wanted to get to know us. The hospitality shown across the planet, it's a part of many cultures. It it needs to become a part of our culture as people who follow God. We need to learn to welcome the world that God loves that is moving into our neighborhoods. Well, there are other ways to engage besides sharing a meal. Consider going to their events. When there are neighborhood events or work parties, places that people gather, go and engage. Jesus did that. Listen to this in John 2. The next day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told them they have no more wine. Tell Jesus will tell you what to do is basically what she says. Now, Jesus was the son of God, and he was perfect, so he did what his mother said, and he... Goes on in verse 6: standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, Fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, Now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though, of course, the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink and can't taste anymore, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. See, Jesus would go to local events. And in fact, it's because of this, he gained a reputation as a drunkard because he would hang out at these parties. Now, Jesus never got drunk. And the scriptures tell us, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. But according to this passage, Jesus made 150 gallons of wine. And apparently, it was the best wine. It was like the duckhorn Merlot of Napa Valley. I Googled it to find a fancy wine. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what a fancy wine is, but apparently that many gallons would serve 3,800 glasses of wine. I mean, this was a party. Now, what's interesting is Jesus created enough wine that there could have been people that abused the wine and drank too much which reminds us that God's main goal is not to control our moral decisions, but to be among us, showing us the path to life, to guide our freedom, to learn to enjoy all of his good gifts with moderation, under his spirit's guidance. Now, for some of us with addiction as a part of our history, moderation is not an option. We just need to abstain. For others of us with friends or family or coworkers who struggle Limiting our freedom so that they don't stumble would be what the Spirit would guide us to do. But let God guide you into situations that might stretch you. Don't let the behavior of others dictate or corrupt yours, but don't push people away because they live in a way that might be different than you have chosen to live. We found out at the 20-year celebration that as a community, we've helped plant over a hundred churches across the world. And one of those churches is in San Antonio. And Steve and Joanna were part of this church plan, and they share this remarkable story. They kind of adopted the block and started getting to know their neighbors and and they would pray for their neighbors and serve their neighbors. And they would engage as the neighbors would invite them over. And they stumbled into a a Texas hold'em party that apparently happened all the time. And at this party, some of their neighbors would get hammered. Now, Steve, who didn't drink anymore with recovery as part of his past, was tempted. Should I keep going or not? And he decided to keep going and just abstained. But in the process, as a couple, Steve and Joanne began to meet and get to know Simon and Terry. Now, Simon and Terry had wanted nothing to do with Christians, but at one of these Texas Hold'em parties... Simon and Steve struck up a conversation, discovered they both love to ride bicycles off-road. And so they decided to go riding together. And eventually, they started inviting other friends of Steve's who happened to be from Steve's church. Eventually, they started going to birthday parties together and sharing meals with each other. And they got to know each other along the way. And eventually, Steve invited them to their small group. And they were surprised when they came, but they already knew so many of them from these other experiences. And looking back, Simon said, I have to admit, I was afraid they were going to go all Ned Flanders on me, (laughs) which if you're young enough not to know, that's not a positive thing from the Simpsons. But Terry, his wife had shared how she couldn't imagine God as a loving father because she had been born from a one night stand and had been abused as a child. And yet, he says, no one tried to fix my wife. No one tried to quickly convince us otherwise of who they believed God to be. Simon said, because they didn't shove Jesus on us, we kept coming and kept learning. So here's this couple in San Antonio. They're riding bikes, socializing, serving, and now in a small group with people who follow Jesus. Now they've never been on a Sunday yet and then their son gets sick and these same followers of Jesus are the ones that show up at the hospital. They're the ones that help bring food to their house and so it wasn't soon after when their son got better that they ventured into the church for the very first time. 18 months after Steve and Joanne met Simon and Terry, they asked them, would you baptize us? Who would have thought It all began playing Texas (laughs) Hold'em. And now seeing this couple find faith and experience community in a deeper way than they could have ever imagined. See, God can work through you, through your willingness to engage, which leads to the next one, engage the outcast. If we're gonna follow Jesus, we need to engage with the person who's marginalized, the one at work who's left out or gossiped about. People are not easy to love. That's often where God is most at work, and the people that feel left out. And so there's this story where Jesus is passing through. He's just passing through a town called Jericho, not intending to stop, but the crowd begins to come together because they heard Jesus was on his way. And one of those men that came was a tax collector named Zacchaeus. Luke 19. Zacchaeus tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short To see over the crowd, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree. Now, some of you might remember the story of Zacchaeus. If you were a kid and you went to Sunday school, maybe you remember the song Zacchaeus was a. That's right. Apparently, he was also Irish. (laughs) And I always loved the story of Zacchaeus, right? The short hero of the story. He becomes heroic in the end, like Rudy or Hobbits. Or Doug Flutie, like I love short people who do great things. Drew Brees. And so Jesus stops in the midst of this, which reminds us that sometimes God is at work and we need to be sensitive to his leading because it might mean lingering in a place that we wouldn't expect. And so Jesus has a conversation with Zacchaeus and he says to him, I'm going to stay at your house tonight, Zacchaeus which is another great way to engage. Just invite yourself over. Spend the night. But actually, in their culture, there was no Motel 6, and so it was a great honor to be able to host a traveling teacher in your home. And so Zacchaeus was so excited, and they spend this time together, and it says in Luke 19, Zacchaeus hurried and came down from the sycamore fig tree and received Jesus gladly. When they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. See, here was what was an amazing moment, and all they could see was the sin of Zacchaeus. They didn't see the potential in Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus had probably ripped them off. In fact, probably ripped all of them off. And yet, so often, we want and desperately need God's forgiveness for us, but we don't want that forgiveness to extend to those that we're not willing to forgive. See, this is a reminder that God's love goes beyond who we want it to go to. Remarkably, after that day with Jesus, Zacchaeus promises to pay back anyone he's robbed four times. They're actually gonna make money on this deal. (laughs) Luke 19, Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. I want you to think about that person that has come to mind even as we've been here today. Maybe a person that's left out at work, a classmate or neighbor that seems to be ostracized, doesn't have any friends, someone who's marginalized or demonized or hard to like. See if God might be prompting you to pray, to listen, to engage with that person. I wanna share a story from Karen Craxton. She found herself exactly in that situation. I want you to hear what happened next. Listen to Karen.
1: Hi, I'm Karen, and one time at work, they shifted the teams around and I got a new boss. and I wasn't really happy about it. Overall, I just kind of sat in my space of negativity and dreaded going to work. But I've been going to Gateway for some time and I would always tell people when I invited them, the messages are so applicable. And when I was inviting a friend, I realized I wasn't applying the messages to my life. So the next Sunday I went with the intention of really taking something home. And John spoke on listening to God in prayer. And I went home and decided I would pray for my boss and listen to how God could tell me how to fix her, right? (laughs) But he didn't. Instead, he told me to serve her, which is hilarious because I didn't even like her. I just started to really listen in the chatter before meetings or in the hallway, um, break room at work, and I would pick up little things. She had a new dog, her dad was sick, she was painting her master bedroom. And then one day she said she was going on a trip. And I thought, she has a dog and she's going on a trip. I should serve her there. So I asked, hey, could I watch your dog while you're on a trip? When she got back from the trip, she invited me to dinner at her house to thank me for watching the dog. And it was really fun. We talked about her vacation, we talked about the dog. We talked about TV shows we liked, and it just kind of felt like we were friends. I naturally just kind of invited her to church, and she said yes, and she came. And then she kept coming, and eventually she joined our life group and then I got to watch as she transformed and grew into kind of a different person altogether. I realized that I had only seen her the way I wanted to, not the way God did or not the way God even wanted me to. So I've always heard the stories at Gateway and really loved just life transformation and change that happens. And I had been a Christ follower for so long that I didn't think that would be my story. I also never really imagined that I was standing in the way of one of those stories. And when I took a message and applied it and started to pray and engage a person and serve a person, I was able to step into their story and walk alongside them. Really, we all can do that when we open our heart and follow God.
0: Isn't that great? What could God do through you? Who could God show his love to through you? I want us to close our time together in prayer. And as I pray, just open your heart and mind. Maybe God would bring someone to the forefront of your thoughts that you could love this week, you could listen to this week, maybe even engage with this week. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for these stories that can inspire us. And God, there are some amazing people that you brought into our lives, and God, they need what we've found. They need to know they are loved, that you offer freely forgiveness and unconditional love. They need to know they're not all alone. And God, would you allow us to so experience your love that it bubbles over our heart and out into the lives of those you brought into our neighborhood, into our classes, into our place of work, into our families, even among us as friends. God, even now, show us who we can reach out to, knowing that as we lose our life serving others, that's actually how we find our life. So may we become people who are known by our love in the way we serve, the way we engage, the questions we ask, the ways we We get involved. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.